Hi, my name is Gabriel Huet, and welcome to Philab Podcast, where we will explore the complex world of Canadian philanthropy by interviewing and showcasing the lived experience of multiple actors in the sector. Welcome to this fifth edition of the Philab Podcast. Today I'm speaking with Sue Griggs and Dana Preston. We're both working with the Wellbeing Project. We tend to think that mental health is the gateway to a good life, but there is really more to it. The Wellbeing Project is a collective that wants to show how important it is to balance all the aspects of health through policies to make change really happen. We will go through their methods and philosophy to explore how the social change sector can improve in this field. Wellbeing is a process that is unique to the context, and this should be the principal's lens through which we analyze this issue. I really learned a lot through this conversation, and I hope you will do as well. Thank you, as always, for listening, and have a good listen. Perfect. Well, thank you to both of you for coming today. Um, so just to start this conversation, I would just like you both to just present your uh, resume and uh, your uh, uh, academic accomplishment that led you to where you are today with the well-being project so we will start with dana if it's possible wonderful thank you gabrielle uh, so i'm dana preston i'm the development and partnership lead at the well-being project and my background has pretty much always been focused on social change working with um, a whole range of organizations in the social change field from grassroots organizations to international NGOs um, and philanthropy as well with grant making. And my specific focus has always been on the women's rights movement. Um, I live and work in Mexico City, so I have the geographic focus of Latin America and the Caribbean. And working with women's rights organizations um, in the region really showed me how important inner well-being and mental health support is. Uh, so I feel my, my career up until now prepared me in one way or another um, for joining the Wellbeing Project. Very interesting. Thank you, Dana. Um, we'll go right ahead with you, Sue. Okay, thank you. Interesting, you start, ended your comments with exactly what I wanted to say as well. <laughs> I think all my life, even though I'm considerably older than you are, but that doesn't really matter. Um, I've been involved in well-being, except I didn't know what it was called. I had no idea that it was well-being. So I have a master's degree in an organizational behavior, and I'm a psych psychotherapist and a coach, which I've been trained for. Um, and so all those are, especially the latter two, uh, credentials are really focusing on mental health and well-being. Again, I didn't know it was well-being. Um, I've also uh, taught in all sorts of edu educational institutions, as well as being a therapist and a coach. And I'm now an elder and the Wellbeing Project, which is quite an interesting honor, especially if we look at the indigenous people and others. Um, elder, uh, um, I think a designation of elder, it says, you have some wisdom. Now, I don't know whether I do or not, but I really like the, the fact that I think there are four or five elders in the Wellbeing Project, which is, which is great. And, and the other piece of that, um, growing up and working in so many different countries, different um, organizations, 
involved with the women's movement as well as you, Dana, um, caring a lot, and I still carry a lot about women's issues. But the other piece of that is the philanthropy side. I've only recently, within the last six months, I would say, called myself a philanthropist because for me, it had a, a negative um, orientation. So I've got a, so my goal now is to make that a positive word. <laughs> I know you're laughing, Dana, but it's it's often true. You, anyways, um, I realized that I grew up in a home that focused on philanthropy, even though it was not called that. And I don't know whether you remember the David Johnson. He was a couple of, he was the, um, what was he now? Anyways, he was in the government and he um, he said philanthropy really focuses on time, talent, and treasure, which I really like that I that concept and that definition. So I started working with my time when I was about six and went all the way up um, to time and then talent. And I worked with some horrible places and volunteered. But anyways, it gave me, I learned a lot, a tremendous amount. And then when I was older and able to earn some money, I we all and I got married, we obviously always gave some kind of money with to all sorts of uh, places. And we did it very, very carefully. And we researched where we were going to give money. And that's, um, that's a big piece of what I think is extremely important. Don't just hand your money to the blank holes. Don't don't throw money to the black holes. That's what I call black holes. Like, and, I mean, some some of those are even hospitals, which many do good things, but you never know where your money's going. So this is something that we've, my, my husband and I are involved together on this uh, project um, and it's really become quite important to us we've we've volunteered gone down to Nicaragua for a month at a time building schools we're going up north to help build classrooms for the indigenous population so it's just that's our time and well not my talent frankly <laughs> I have found it hard to um, build but whatever we had fun so that's where I'm what's where I'm coming from very interested in the topic and very interested in the well-being project that is really interesting. There's a lot to unpack with what you said already, both of you. So I, I'll just start with uh, something that for me is pretty important. It's to define terms. Um, you okay. said yourself that you were imply, uh, working in the sector of uh, well-being without even knowing it was. So for the viewers or listeners, um, can you describe what is well-being? In a, in a simple way for people to just uh, <laughs> identify to it? So I think I would just start by saying there's no one pathway towards inner well-being. It totally depends on the individual and their background and their geography and who they are. Um, but for me, inner well-being has a lot to do with self-awareness mm -hmm. um, the ability to pause and check in with oneself um, and finding balance um, between different aspects of identity. You're very often it's the work-life balance. Um, so that self-awareness, I think, is kind of the, the key ingredient to discovering what inner well-being even means for you. But of course, it's a holistic well-being, which is physical health, emotional health, spiritual health, um, that holistic piece is, is quite important in my view. Mm -hmm. Great. And if I could just push back on that, because you're saying well-being represent balance in a certain way, but 
is it normal that people would associate well-being with mental health like they're the same thing i don't but, think they're the same thing okay. but they are very much related i think if if you don't have your mental health it's very hard to have overall well-being mm -hmm. um so in the project we talk about these two things together they're not interchangeable but very much related mm -hmm. so it's really important to not just associate mental health with well-being but the whole thing like body yes. self and even maybe for other people spiritually mm -hmm. uh, um yeah. sane um in your view sue how would you describe your um uh, discovery of what was well-being like you said you were working on the field but what made you right. well, knew started, that it was yeah um i started working in england a long time ago and with a group of um 10 12 year olds who couldn't really couldn't read um and i'd never had any teacher training i had a degree in english so i didn't know what i was doing however i knew i wasn't going to just have these kids say there stay there and do, or draw pictures is, which is what all the other teachers were doing so i thought okay these these uh, children are, they're sort of half teenagers they need something because they're obviously they, they were hungry a lot of the time they need something so what i did was we worked with them and with their families to, to help provide some kind of food program just for their own sake and we also i actually wrote back to um, my public school in toronto to get some uh, a, a community going between the two schools. And then we started doing some very simple reading of probably three years behind the grade level, but that didn't matter because it, they had success. So again, that, um, that feeling of being able to do something, doing it well, that's to me, I didn't know it was well-being, but that to now I'd say that is a piece of, a very strong piece of well-being, so. So the gratification of, of, the, of achieving something. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, I, I can really see how all this fits together because to have a good life, you need to see that you're doing good things in a certain way. Um, through that, um, if we go more specifically onto your organization, um, mm -hmm. what is the Wellbeing Project? What, what does it consist of and how does it work? Do you want to start, Dana? Sure. And then so you can fill in the blanks. Sure. Um, so the well-being project is seeking to shift the way social change work is done and making inner well-being and mental health um, really central and in mm. at the heart of social change work. Um, it was founded in 2015 um, and it's a co-creation. It sits between six social change organizations, uh, Ashoka, Impact Hub, Esalen, Porticus, Skoll, and Synergos. So everything we do is a co-creation. Um, and the project is a limited life initiative. So we will sunset in 2025 as it's a project. Uh, the idea was always to catalyze and give life to other initiatives and projects in the social change field that really take this inner well-being and mental health agenda forward. Um, so I think, you know, that be, seeing ourselves as a catalyst and having this limited life initiative allows us and really um, encourages us to work through deep partnership and collaboration, ensuring that this work that we're doing is taken forward by many leaders in the social change field 
um, that that take on the inner well-being and mental health agenda and then have that ripple out through their networks um, in a you know way that's responsive to their geographies and their local contexts. Um, I'll pause there because I don't know how much more I should go into who we are, what we do, but I just wanted to go into the part actually that I'm involved with. It's called the OEP. I'm involved in a group called the Organizational Exploratory Program, because as we noticed, it wasn't enough for people individually to go through this program because they all like 99% in many ways, we all went back to an organization, a workplace. And so what happens when you go in with these new learnings and this new way of feeling and nobody else knows what's happening. Mm. So what we're doing, the group, the small group of, uh, of us that are working on this, we chose three, eight organizations around the world um, in some really, I don't know, poverty stricken places, no question about it. However, we chose those eight organizations with the, with the potential of growing. And we've been working with them for three years on how they can both initiate um, well-being in their organization and more importantly, how they can sustain it. So we're at the stage right now where we're focusing a lot on, okay, you've, some of them have done a wonderful job. They're totally there. They just need to learn to sustain it. Others, because of mostly because of COVID problems and lack of money, et cetera, mm. aren't, aren't, aren't quite there yet. So we're still working with them and then moving them forward as it comes. So, and we've been meeting with them on, on their own in person once because I'm not a quote, because again, and hopefully next year, next spring or next fall we'll meet with them again together so that's sort of a that's that's almost a completion of the program itself you need both so the well-being project is a way to analyze an organization and see if they're um working toward those objective the the, the objective of making people feel good or having a better better um, balance in inside and outside of the work Is that, is that what I'm... Uh... I have to, um, not quite, okay. <laughs> I'd say, but you're getting there. And obviously I wasn't clear enough. Um, the, well, the issues around well-being is individual well-being is wonderful. There's no mm -hmm. question about that. But a lot of people, and I think we, it was one of these questions around this actually, but a lot of people think, well, if, if even if you had half the six people who've taken the well-being program going into an organization and just follow all the things they're doing, it will be fine. Well, it isn't fine because what happens is that the people at the top leadership has to buy into the well-being project. So mm -hmm. with the seven organizations we had, the top three in that organization, those eight organizations, I should say, did the, the individual well-being. So they came back with all that knowledge and then they spread that throughout the organization. Okay. And what a big misconception, can I just make one more point? Yeah, a big go ahead. <laughs> a big misconception is that if everybody is doing really well on well-being on an individual level, well, the organization is going to be great. That doesn't work hmm. because really what we're looking at in an organization are policies and projects and, you know, ways of working together. It's not just the individual. So. Okay, so to see if I understood correctly right now. Yes. The importance is that the individual buy into the product, yes, firsthand, but that the policies made by the top is going to affect the way people work on their project and the end goals of those projects will be essentially the same as the mentality that, that the, the top 
as Bodin. Is that is that it? Well, yeah, yes, and that's really critical okay. that they spread these policies and also the, the philosophy behind this throughout the organization. And what a lot of in those small organizations we've got, they're all social change organizations. They've called they've designated what they call ambassadors. Um, who will work throughout the organization. There's a very large organization in Africa that have all these ambassadors and they work with the people around them and spread mm. the word and they talk so that if changes are made, it's changed by everybody. It's, okay. it's very tricky. And, and in a more technical sense, because I understand the, the concept of making the change work from the top, That that's... Uh, logically yeah, more sound than just trying to make the individual make the change as they don't have the real power on in their organization i understand that but what is the 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 practical work made to change the mind of those people if that makes sense because in a certain way you're saying that there's a paradigm shift that needs to be done right but what are we going from and where are we going to and how are we going through this change I don't know if, Dana, you want to answer that question? Yeah, I, I can speak a bit to what the programming looks like. And then since Sue is, mm -hmm. is directly involved, she can add in more. Um, but the work with the social change organizations, as well as our work with individual change makers, basically looks like a two mm -hmm. to three year journey for a cohort of either the social change leaders or in, this, in the case of Sue, social change organizations. Um, and there are touch points like quarterly calls before we had annual in-person convenings. Now they're online. Um, I believe there are also monthly peer calls so people can continue to explore this together more frequently. Mm -hmm. um, there are there's access to many of the other well-being supports and programming that we organize as the well-being project. So they're automatically invited into those resources and sessions. They get connected to other well-being practitioners. Um, we do well-being stipends mm -hmm. for organizations to explore and actually have the resources to implement well-being practices and policies at the organizational level. Uh, well-being coaches to support the organizations. Um, so it's it's a there's really a peppering of many different supports that the well-being project provides for these cohorts that we facilitate mm -hmm. and accompany in their process. Sue, do you want to add anything no, in? No, I think that was really clear and very direct. And I think that's it's does I'm so glad you mentioned the coaches because they're mm -hmm. they're really critical and then the coaches are coached by someone one of us in our small group at the well-being project so mm -hmm. it's like this you know I, don't, I can't get my hands out <laughs> we support each other no question about it um, it's kind of a ripple effect yeah that's my favorite expression because it's it's a ripple effect that's what it is mm. and you have to keep adding on to that too it doesn't just once isn't enough twice isn't enough so and if i could just like add to that because in my field of uh, study which is communication the yeah. thing that we have uh, uncover at least it's not like we have the answer to it is that change is the biggest problem in any organization because mm -hmm. that's where you're going to find resistance 
throughout any actors, which is from the top or the bottom, you're going to find resistance at some point. And that's what you need to fight to make the change happen. What is the biggest uh, resistance that you've uncovered or faced while doing or trying to put in place those kind of transition? Um, that's a great question. I think from my experience, and this is more from my experience working directly with social change organizations in mm -hmm. previous jobs, it's the constant pull to do more, mm -hmm. to save another life, to take on another legal case, to save another forest. I mean, the work that people are doing in the social change field is really important. And for some, um, it is life and death, mm. you know, for the people that they're supporting and trying to trying to accompany. I mean, there's a whole range of experiences in the social change field, but I think it's that that sensation. If I don't do this, something bad is going to happen. And so I think that is one of the biggest barriers to really thinking about and let alone implementing well-being practices, self-care practices, collective care practices. Mm -hmm. And for you, Sue? Um, well, I would agree with everything Dana said. And I'm, then I'd also add um, COVID on mm -hmm. top of this. Because it made a huge change in our organizations, especially about three of them who their funding just disappeared. Almost all their funding disappeared. And they, they had the one group in Pakistan I mean, they had a tremendous program going through all throughout Pakistan, just left. So it wasn't, it wasn't the kind of thing you're, you were talking about, Dana, which is all very true. But then COVID made such yeah. a difference and, and the resources just leaving, running away. I said not running away, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You can get rid of some of those silly comments. I mean, yeah, it's, it was huge. And it's been, it's when you get back to change, because I've done a lot of work on change as well. And um, we had to spend a lot of time on helping the or people in organizations look at change and look at what ha has happened. How does change occur? And there's always a resistance at the beginning of a change program, always. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes you go through part of it and more another resistance comes back up and you have to move back. But then the COVID added double or triple the issues for that. So we had to work with them and listen a lot to some of their issues. That's interesting because from what you both said, I see a kind of a link because it is true. People always want to make more. And I feel like it's kind of the same um, train of thought. Even if you go into the financial um, world, people yes. always want more for different reason, but the same right. logic applies. And COVID is not going to be like a one-time deal for the future. It's going to rehappen. Crises like this will rehappen. So there will be a, uh, a fusion of this sense of urgency for people to just try to work even more to save the world as more and more crisis happens. So I know it's like a big, big question, but putting those two things together, I know that you're saying that we need to reach the top of um, the people that make policies to make sure that the well-being is a method that that needs to be applied but do you see um like through the last year with covid nearing to an end in a in a way yep. my question is were you able to see a difference between the organization that applied the well-being project 
or method compared to other organizations that went through COVID or, and are doing the same kind of work, but I haven't yet embarked on that uh, way. Yeah, I haven't a very great answer because this, <laughs> at this time, I'm only working with the Wellbeing Project. Usually mm -hmm. I move around a bit, but um, that's all I can manage at this point. And so I wasn't near a lot of other organizations and I wasn't, you know, I just wasn't there. One thing I did was thinking of was our largest organization, which is based in Africa and probably the most sophisticated realized that they had been working in the well-being principles with all the people that they worked for and with, but had never thought of having well-being policies in their uh, leadership team. Ever, never until COVID hit. Luckily, they're smart and they're very outgoing and very, you know, had a lot of experience. So they immediately talked to us and we worked and they worked with them to apply the well-being project. But I, I can't really answer your questions because I wasn't that involved with others. Sorry. Well, if I can reframe it at least, because it was a big question and it just came up to my mind in a in a way. <laughs> right. Now that we see that these kind of crises are going to be more frequent. Uh, do you think that there will be a, a more openness to the kind of projects that you're making through the organization that you might work with or that you're already working with? I think definitely yes. Mm -hmm. um, I think the Wellbeing Project has observed that COVID has in a way um, helped out, helped advance our mission in that there's never been so much awareness and attention on mental health and well-being. Mm. Um, the pandemic, you know, not just the, I mean, there's so many different crises caused by the pandemic, but this idea of mental health, I think really came out, people dealing with isolation, um, people dealing with immense amount of anxiety and depression and grief from so much loss. Mm mental health really i think has come out with more awareness so that absolutely um helps us you know making our case mm -hmm. however at the same time it's created a tidal wave of need that we can't meet and at the same time whenever there's a crisis who's asked to address the crisis. It's frontline workers in the social change field. Mm -hmm. So they're not only dealing with their part of the crisis too, they're dealing with the crisis, but they're also being asked to meet the needs of the crisis. So it's helped in that there's more visibility and awareness and more people are talking about it, but there's just way more need now. Mm. Right. And I've noticed, I'll just add on to that. Um, you probably, you mentioned, sort of mentioned it, Dana, but um, the, the biggest thing that, biggest age group that I've been reading about are the teenagers, actually, mm -hmm. um, and some young adults, but mostly mostly the teens from like 13 to 19 or something like that. It's in, ironic, I was uh, riding the subway the other day for the first time in a year and a half, I think. Um, but there are four big, signs about six feet high and about three feet wide all in a row all talking about the mental health um places that people could go phone and they gave the phone numbers or the you know the um 
way to get to hold of them. And it was all about the same thing. And I have never seen that at, in the Toronto subway system ever. Mm. So it, it just really hit me, even though I've read about it and thought about it, it just came at another, another level. It's just scary. It's scary, actually, mm -hmm. it really is. Well, yes, it definitely hurts um, the young ones more because their social life has been completely destroyed for the last two years. Their only interaction with the world has been completely cut off. And for, let's say, on my part, which I'm 26, so I'm a young adult, right. I've lived through a life of enough contact that I have my group of friends that is strong enough to survive distance. Right. But for someone who's just trying to build his identity, his identity or trying to meet new friends, uh, they just lost a big opportunity to create those links for the future that's that's really unfortunate and it's going to have a ripple effect like we said but in like 10 years 15 right. years so we can't measure it right now but for sure it's going to have an impact um through that though seeing that this will be a major um, challenge for the future generation do you have examples of policies like we we want to talk about policies and stuff like that but what can be a concrete way of helping, let's say we have an organization which is completely uh, invented, what would be the most important thing to imply or install to make sure the well-being of uh, your people is at the front line? Well, I could name a few. Um, mm -hmm. One is to get people together and talk about it. What would they, what, what, I'm a big believer and that's one of the things I've already done through all my work. Um, I fight bureaucracy like mad and get my people together <laughs> and we make our own decisions. And then I go up and persuade the bureaucracy. I'm not quite saying that, but um, for this case, but you have to talk about what, what would help them and then, um, then do something about it. And in terms of a small amount of money, it's not always money that's needed. It's mm -hmm. change of, of a policy of um, working from home when they longer perhaps than they needed. I know a lot of places in Toronto, they're starting to come back and people are really concerned about that. And these are not just social change. These are businesses as well. Mm -hmm. So um, just getting together and talk about it. Dana, I know we'll get more, but do you want to add a few before while I start thinking for more? Um, no, I think that is my, my experience learning from the Wellbeing Project. It's having that initial conversation. And I think also... <laughs> recognizing that um, that organization's journey to exploring well-being is unique and it, it doesn't mm. it won't necessarily look like you know their next door neighbor's experience and so recognizing that piece and that um, it's an ongoing journey it's never like oh we got there we did this policy and now we're taking care of well-being. Right. It's a checkbox. Like I think this idea <laughs> of it being a process or a journey that's never ending is right. really important. I, I'm just yes. going to try to push back, but to make the devil's advocate. Okay. Okay. In the, in the eyes of a CEO, let's say, who hears to take care of the well-being of my people, I have no outside uh, information that can help me. It's going to be an ongoing process till the end of my life. <laughs> and uh, I have no certainties that it will work. How do you convince that person that it's to the benefits or 
it's going to advent is going to be a, a net positive for everyone implementing that strategy because i'm with you on that project but i know that people like this exist and are going to say those kind of arguments in a sense well, I've got it just being sort of amusing for a minute. I would suggest that they read this whole article that has just come out about the impact. Um, I don't know whether you've seen a copy of it or not, but it's the uh, culture of inner well-being for all change makers. So they're catalyzing that and then getting more out there. Um, so I think it will be a very hard to do at the moment to do that, but I would bring in people to talk <coughs> about who experienced this kind of thing so that that poor lone person at the top isn't all by himself or isn't yes i didn't say male or female <laughs> <laughs> oh but i i kind of Definitely see what you're saying female. like it needs to be re uh, reassured in a certain way yeah. Sure. Uh, so it doesn't feel alone in that process yep and, 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 and actually it has worked that's mm. the other thing yeah uh, not only has it worked and there is a way to measure, um, I think there are some ways to see if your organization's team is feeling better and feeling like they have overall more well-being with surveys and other tools. So there is a way to somewhat measure. Mm -hmm. um, and to Sue's point, sharing good practices and having those leaders talk to other leaders that are in a very similar situation is, is another way that we work at the Wellbeing Project. Um, we host learning communities for social change organizations and social businesses, foundations to learn among peers. So we're not telling them what to do. It's not even, it's not a training course on how to implement well-being. Rather, it's opening up this space for collective discussion about, you know, if it's all executive directors, like, I don't know where to start. How do I even think about the well-being and mental health of my teams? It's, uh, it's like this safe container for peers to talk about these challenges. And then the well-being project provides research that we have done with research institutions we provide examples of what other organizations are doing and what's working. And then they can begin to experiment. But I think the peer aspect is really important exactly. to not feel like you're alone in this and to know that it's it's not easy and, and there are others facing similar challenges, but they kind of end up supporting one another and, and taking us forward. It's really interesting because the, the fact that it's not like a course or a... Um... A structural program is in itself the way of uh, applying those policies so they're practicing it in discovering the way exactly. <laughs> as they participate oh, that, i find that really really helpful because in a sense i've worked in one big uh, corporation that felt like they were doing this kind of stuff but it was it was so dull and with no life like they were mm. giving you um surveys to how do you feel? But if you felt under seven on 10, it felt bad for your image at the mm. job. So oh, <laughs> it's, it, it kills the whole uh, aspect of uh, touching your, your, your people. How are they really feeling? Uh, you'll never know uh, in this way, but I find that really interesting. To... Well, I just wanted to add yes. the, um, sorry, I thought you'd finished. No, no, go ahead. Okay. 
Um, I just wanted to add that I did a very similar kind of thing years ago when I was working in the corporate world um, of bringing women's groups together, mm. starting in our own large organization and then gradually moving out to other people. And it was the same type of thing. We didn't tell them anybody what to do, but this is a space to talk and make some changes. And that's how actually, I think it's because that's how we run the, the um, well-being group. You know, we, we work with people, we talk with people, we get people's ideas and then we act. And we have a, um, Aaron and Sandrine are our leaders, but for the most part, they're pretty open to what the, what the group groups want in their own way, I think. Mm. So it's sort of using that philosophy of how we're all learning to take it out into the world in that manner. And it's, again, it's more of the ripple effect of ideas than anything. I love that word that you've used a lot. It's nice. So the the basis of the well-being project is to reunite people together to create those ideas in a collab co collaboration, sorry, <laughs> as to not let leave the individuals alone in thinking about it. Like they, they need the experience of everyone to to find that solution in a sense. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think other pieces of work that we carry out in addition to facilitating those peer groups mm -hmm. um, include research. So as a way to make an, a clear evidence link between when individual change makers have greater well-being, we have been able to document through rigorous longitudinal research mm. that they feel they have healthier patterns in their personal life. They feel that they are able to show up in a more collaborative fashion in their organizations. Mm. And at the organizational level, um, organizations that are intentionally trying to embed inner well-being, um, they also report more creativity among their teams, more innovation, and more collaboration. So we know that, you know, to solve the social and environmental and health challenges that we have today and we will have in the future, um, we need collaboration. We can't do it alone. So what's so beautiful is to see how through our research, we have documented the connection between greater inner well-being among social change leaders and organizations and more creative, innovative, sustainable, collaborative social change, which we feel is absolutely necessary if we are going to face uh, the challenges that we have today. That is really uh, insightful. Uh... I thank you, Dana, for that sharing. And there was like a, a flash in my head while you were speaking that uh, you said that well-being has um, a link with uh, creativity. Mm. And um, I had this uh, weird example, but uh, I like to play a lot of video games. And there's a lot of crisis uh, in that particular sector as there's a lot of... Uh, case of sexual harassment that came out in the last couple of uh, months in a lot of uh, those companies. And it would be kind of interesting to see uh, the um, if there is a correlation in between creating good games and creative games mm -hmm. and the way people feel in those mm -hmm. organizations, is, uh, in a sense. That was no, just a, doubt it. an yeah. image. Yeah. Um, but through Amazing. that, we 
we'll uh, enter our last segment. Um, if we look into the future for, let's say, the time that you want, what is your hope of the achievements that are possible with the well-being project? And this is more of an explorative question. Like, mm. uh, it doesn't need to happen, but what would be the optimal uh, results for the well-being project? Well, I'll That's start. Go ahead, Sue. Um, we, we, I assume you know we're having a well-being summit in the spring. Mm -hmm. We hope to have 1,500 people there, but who knows what's going to happen with that because of the pandemic, but we'll mm. work something out. I'm not too concerned about it. Um, so that to me is a, is a second start or a third start or fourth start, whatever you want to look at, to get people there who will hear a lot about it for the maybe the first or second or third time, but they haven't been very involved. And I see all sorts of pods of people taking on if different kinds of things in their own areas, like the school teachers now are taking have got it are very organized and are getting more and more organized to to include well-being. Um, the medical field is starting to look at at that as and in that as well. Um, the way um, top net, um, philanthropy works. I'm not aware of a lot of things that are happening, but things are starting to happen in the well-being, the philanthropy field. And I'm sure I was involved with the Community Foundation for six years on the board. And I know the one I was with, which was in Toronto, was very, very aware of what was happening um, and how to give money rather than just plop somewhere, but be, be very thoughtful and thinking. So that's another thing that I think is getting going to grow even faster. Um, and I think we'll have starting in more this is not quite as drastic or interesting, but starting more series of webinars with leading people from the arts, people from some of the organizations and sectors that we haven't even looked at yet. I think there'll be more and more people getting involved and wanting to hear what's been happening. Um, and it's, it's been quite amazing actually, um, what's, what's happened. We have, what is it, once a month, Dana? The um, a, a yeah. group, of yeah, once a month, and we've had up to three or 400 people come to listen and discuss and be involved in a, um, a couple of experts in the field all from all over the place, place. And that's been, and then there's also a chance for them to go and talk about it on a small group a couple of weeks later. And that's gonna continue. So all these sort of under the wire educational efforts have been going all the way along for the last two years anyways. Um, and they're going to be continued. There's no question about continuing. There's no question about that. And I think the other pieces, which I mentioned, there are sectors that are already moving. They're going to be a lot more subsectors. I mean, right now there's a huge, huge push on well-being and trauma, and well-being and um, the ecology. So we're going to uh, at the retreat. Maybe you already read about that, but the retreat in Bilbao. There's going to be a lot of speakers and um, exercises on those kinds of topics far more than we've really done in terms of what we've been doing so far mm. so i think it's just going to expand radically and i'm really hoping and i'm going to stay around if when we stop if we do which who knows what's happened what will stop in five years but other things are going to be growing up it's going to like little pods are going to go up around around i don't know where maybe europe and north america first who knows i don't want to speculate on that you can cross that one out <laughs> well thank you Dana, I, you're welcome um thanks sue and i i think 
I agree with everything you said. And to your last point, having these little pods, these, these initiatives that, you know, maybe we have incubated or facilitated a company kind of spinning off and taking on a life of their own. Um, I see that happening. And, and I think looking to the future, what would be amazing is in terms of geographies, being able to make sure that we reach change makers everywhere. So we already have a global focus and we already have a focus on working with change makers from the global South as they have less resources than their global North uh, yeah. friends in, in addressing mental health and inner well-being. But we would like to be able to do even more. And in terms of, we know that well-being is a term that means different things to different mm -hmm. people and different geographies and contexts will also influence that. So how could my dream would be, how can we have like regional well-being project hubs in Latin America and the Caribbean and Africa, in Southeast Asia and the Middle East, where we respond to the local context. And we also lift up local resources. I mean, mm. people have their self-care and collective care strategies, but how can we just bring our model um, to these local contexts and, and really make sure we're reaching all change makers? Um, Sue mentioned our well-being summit for social change. There's one in 2022 and then another in 2024. And bringing people together, we feel, is a way to accelerate our mission. Um, so much magic happens when people are together and meet and do relationship building. Um, Sue mentioned art, and it's woven throughout our summits as a language to provoke a very personal experience for people um, to kind of have the, the mindset shift mm -hmm. um, so that when they go back to their organizations and their networks and their communities, they can help with more rippling. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess the last thing is I've, the project has been building up a critical mass of social change organizations and social change leaders around the world that are now champions and advocates of inner well-being and talk about it in their spaces and are promoting it in their spaces. So I think we, we imagine we're building this critical mass. We need to get to the tipping point so that it just pours out and continues to permeate and create more and more ripple effects. So what we're really hoping to do is hit that tipping point um, so that there are enough individuals and organizations and leaders taking this forward. Um, so that will involve a lot of storytelling and communication work. How do we shift the narrative around inner well-being so that it's not considered a luxury or something that would be nice to have, but rather well-being is essential. Mm. And it's not just essential to preventing burnout, which is really important because the social change sector has some of the highest rates of burnout compared to other sectors. Mm. Um, so it's not just about preventing burnout, although that's very important. It's also about unlocking this incredible potential for more creative and innovative and collaborative social change work. Um, so that's the narrative that we want to push out wide and far. Um, and I think that that will be really key for us getting to the tipping point. Right. Well, your hopes are giving me hope. That's oh, a <laughs> really good thing. I really appreciated that conversation. It was really insightful. I thank nice you point. both. And I hope you enjoyed it as well as I did. Absolutely, Gabrielle. Thank you. Yes. And thank you, Sue.
Thank you, Dana. And thank you, Gab uh, sorry, Gabrielle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> sorry, I looked at the wrong name, the wrong side. <laughs> um, I just wanted to say that communication has is playing and playing even a more important part in this mm -hmm. whole project than almost ever, anything. Mm -hmm. if, just keep a, a lie, an eye out on, on Instagram and tweets and for well-being, just as well-being. There's all these little things constantly. Yeah. I was just thinking of you in the communicate in your communication course. Yes, it's really a powerful, a powerful weapon to have in your hands, and it can be used for good or bad, right? And thank you for your interview. It was good. <laughs>